Hello and welcome to another episode of Home and Away. In a few moments, we will be joined by one of the most brilliant minds in the ethos of British coaching. Someone who embodies total devotion to their craft. He has seen it all, coaching around the world before finally making his way to the NBA G League. It's none other than Tim Lewis. Hope you'll enjoy. So how did you originally you know, get into basketball growing up? Like what, what, because again, there's not much of a culture for basketball in the UK, at, at least, you know, hasn't been for a while. But yeah, how sure. did you originally get into just following the sport? So my dad played um, a long, a long time ago in North London in the National League. Okay. So the, when, as I got to secondary school in England, you know, that he, you know, there was two things, rugby and, and basketball. And uh, I was playing rugby outside of the club and then started playing basketball at the secondary school. I went to the Harvey Grammar School in Folkestone. And there were two teachers there, um, Johnny Herbert and, and a guy called Alan Philpott, who um, were the PE teachers. And they were both big basketball fans. And my history teacher, Ian Coulson, was playing at a local club basketball, and he was a huge fan. And it was them that they were just like, I was abnormally tall for my year group. And they basically said, hey, you're going to play basketball. And that was it. Year seven in, uh, in secondary school, I started playing and just got the bug. Um, and then by the time, so by the time I was 15, I then played for the England 15s, um, was captain of them, and then played for the 17s. Um, and then at that point, I went over to high school in the States. But I played, the club I played with was a club called Folks and Saints, which is still in existence um, down in the seaside town down in Folkestone. And there was a bunch of people there, Mick Fisher, Mark Harding, uh, Nimi Sandu, um, all these guys that basically took me under their wing and sort of put me into the playing in the men's league. And, and that was it, really. I just took off. And then I got to the point where I wanted to go to high school and continue playing basketball. And the options in England weren't great. I was playing at Crystal Palace at that point. I was going back and forth to London. And then I was at Gravesend with Lost Travel with Chris Morgan, sadly, who's passed away now, um, and Hump Long. Um, and in my hometown, Martin Clark played at Boston College and then went on to play. He was drafted by the 76ers and he lived in my town and they basically helped me go to the same school he went to in Boston. So I ended up going to high school in Boston um, for, for three years, Don Bosco Tech, where John Grady and uh, Tommy Cavanaugh were my coaches. Um, and were, you know, huge in my development in terms of just guidance and everything. I ended up living with Coach Grady and still remain in touch with both of them. Um, and then went to University of New Hampshire for four years, which is where Tommy Kavanaugh had played. So, you know, it was all really through relationships that you built and people that you knew and people that had a vested interest in basketball that got me going. And then once I started playing, I just never looked back. You know, I obviously played cricket and rugby and, wasn't a huge soccer fan, but in those sports when I was in, in school, but basketball was always a priority. And, you know, you had the initial phase of playing in England and, you know, before you moved to, you know, the States and, you know, playing basketball over there. 
what was the difference in culture and just the way basketball was perceived in both those areas? Did you find a tangible difference there? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, basketball was, you could go anywhere in the United States and find basketball 24-7. Whereas in the UK, it was was much more limited um, in terms of what was available and access to it and stuff like that. So that was a big difference. You know, you just had all that stuff um, available to you. Yeah, so it was was far more... um, accessible to you there was there were more camps you know in high school you were doing it throughout the year you know whereas in England it was just come together there was no real coaching in, in the school there was at the club but you relied on the older guys to sort of develop help you sort of just understand the game a little bit better but then I obviously went to Crystal Palace and there I had Roy Packham and Mark Dunning and they, they were great in my development in terms of understanding the game and Chris Morgan and Hump Long so it was just really the access. I mean, it was 24 seven in the UK. You've got to, you know, you want to go practice, you know, go get to a court. You've got to go pay money to be on a court. You can't just, you know, unless it's outdoor courts. Yeah. And, you know, as you mentioned, in terms of coaching, there's such a big difference when it comes to, you know, in the States and in the UK, as a player, was there ever a moment where you realized, well, coaching perhaps is something that's, you know, something that could be more focused on and that perhaps you have those skills that you could, you know, go go forward and channeling your energy into that. I mean, I think over time. I mean, I I was I was always super passionate about the game. Um, you know, I spent would spend hours. It was at the time before software and stuff. So, I, you know, at Crystal Palace, I would draw stuff out. I would keep a notebook always. And then uh, ultimately, I got. Um, you know, I became a teacher um, after college. I came back into the postgraduate in education and was in teaching primarily, so I could continue to be or help you know be involved with basketball because it was impossible you couldn't make a full-time living being in basketball playing or then coaching and then as I was playing I always enjoyed coaching I was doing stuff with camps and helping stuff and then that just naturally progressed as as I became, became less and less I started to transition to coaching I started coaching regional obviously I was coaching high school teams I then started coaching regional teams um, and then regional teams, I got an opportunity to be an assistant with, sadly, Rick Rollridge, who just passed away, and with Dave Titmus, um, and, you know, Humph Long. And over those years, I, you know, I just progressed. I went from being assistant with the 16s to head coach of 16s, assistant to the 18s, and head coach of the 18s, um, 20s um, as an assistant, and then head coach of the 20s, and then obviously with the senior men's program. And it's just something I've always, I've, I've just, you know, I've embraced and I've moved towards and um, I found I had a passion for and I had a talent for. So it's something that's, you know, when I got divorced back in 2006, I knew what direction I wanted to go in and that was I wanted to go to full-time coaching. And that's hard to do in the United Kingdom, you know, yeah. to do that full-time and make money. And so that led me to then the, the sort of my travels overseas, really, since 2000 and six 2007 you know i've realistically been outside of the uk except for three years yeah and you know you always mentioned that you know you, you always prioritize opportunities over you know money when it comes to coaching because you know initially you have to put that groundwork in into being in a spot where you know the job a job of coaching becomes rewarding you know on a financial sense but 
what was that initial phase like just knowing that you have to put those years and you have to put that time in and not instantly seeing that, you know, showing up on perhaps on the financial side of it, but still having to put those efforts in. And, you know, you have gone through so many, to so many different places, coaching in different areas. What was that mindset like for you in knowing that and having that patience and knowing that this will eventually pay off? You know, it, it, there's no question it's tough, right? You know, right at the beginning of when you start out, I mean, you leave, and this is the problem, part of the problem in the UK is most people are coaching as a accessory to their full-time job. And the full-time job gives them this, the security. <clears throat> and so there are, I think, are very few people in the UK that are prepared to give up that full-time security to take the step into full-time coaching. So I left teaching, which is a fairly reliable income. It's year-round, you get holidays. You know, I took a step off the deep end to go and coach. And who knows at that point whether that's going to be successful or not. And, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I didn't make much money my first couple of years working in Spain. Came back, we created a club in the UK, which I invested money in. And I didn't generate a lot of cash, but I was pretty passionate about what we wanted to do. And then, you know, I think people just see that you do the right things. You do things the right way. Um they see your ability to develop and encourage players um, and it just progressed. And, you know, if I hadn't taken the opportunities to present themselves um, because it wasn't enough money, then I wouldn't be, I definitely wouldn't be where I am, you know, have I had the opportunities I've had so far uh, because, and I think I see it too often, too many people say it's not enough money. I'm not going to go and coach in Austria. Well, then for you're never going to get that opportunity to establish yourself. You're never going to get your opportunity to grow and you're never going to get your opportunity to prove that you can coach outside of the UK. And that's a challenge because people don't see England, the UK, you know, Scotland, Wales as basketball countries. And therefore you're supposed to coach soccer. You're supposed to coach rugby. You're supposed to coach cricket. Mm. And, you know, you mentioned that, in terms of coaching, you know, coaching in Europe, basketball is quite different than coaching in England because, as you mentioned, the coaching in England isn't given that much of a priority. It isn't taken as seriously. Yeah, yeah, there is a financial aspect of it, but just in general, it's almost not given that credence. Um, when you have coached in Europe, have you seen a difference in the uh, almost the amount of importance that is given to coaching over there? Sure. I mean, I you know, I've been in a privileged situation. I mean, I was in Grazia Farm all, I mean, a major program in Germany. And they, I mean, they just created this, what they call the orange campus. I mean, it's state of the art, nothing else like it in Europe, maybe Barcelona, maybe Real Madrid, um, maybe some of the Turkish teams, places like that, Treviso in Italy, but it's focused primarily on basketball. And we just, I mean, you have a few places now, Leicester, Newcastle, uh, that have facilities that are geared towards, but those are still, I believe, at times multi-use facilities. They, you know, have to get other things coming in. So, I think the big difference is it's, you know, it's obviously not school-based in Europe. It's club-based. So kids go through a club program from a really young age, which has changed a little bit in the UK now. You've got club programs that run like that. You just have more full-time coaches. You have investment in coaches which i don't think happens enough in the uk 
um, there's not enough financial investment in coaches to want them to be full-time and therefore help grow the sport because you know we can develop play in order to develop the players you've got to have coaches that can do that and in order to do that you've got to develop coaches and uh we do it to a, a minimal level i think but i think you know we could do a far better job and there are some really good coaches that would do you know could do really well with just a little bit more help with a little bit more experience with a little bit more opportunity And I spoke with Mark Clark about this when he was mentioning the lack of a coaching fraternity where it's almost like there is, you know, a pool of knowledge among, you know, experienced coaches, but there isn't that initiative from the, from the younger, you know, rising coaches to kind of take that in. You know, there's someone like you who has so much experience and, you know, there's almost that lack of initiative in trying to learn about the sport. Do you think any of that comes from a lack of identity of what British basketball even is, what that style of British basketball is uh, over the years? Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there's, a, there's definitely a lack of identity. I don't, I don't think that precludes people from uh, gleaning knowledge from, you know, experienced coaches. And there are experienced coaches. I've always felt there's an element of like, we know it, like that British mentality, like we, we have it, like we're the best, we, we know it all. We, we don't need to, um, you know, we don't need to seek out advice and whatever. And it's not just basketball, it's across all things. Like that's yeah. just, you know, the stiff upper lip and whatever. And I think that does definitely is detrimental to our development. I mean, there are a handful of British coaches that have, that have reached out and I regularly touch base with, just to talk about basketball, you know, and I would love to be able to, you know, talk about my journey, um, you know, what that's taken, you know, how they can do it, you know, the experience and the knowledge that I've gained over the 30 years I've been involved. Um, but Mark's quite right. You know, we don't do it. I mean, I, and we don't do it as head coaches either. We don't necessarily pull on. I mean, I'm, when I don't remember the last time ever, that we've been on, you know, we've ever had the most experienced British coaches in one forum and talking about things like how does British basketball go? And it's been one of my, I guess, pet peeves about British basketball has always been is what is our identity? What is our style of play? What is going to make us successful in Europe? We're not French. We're not German. We're not Spanish. We're not Italian. We have a very eclectic group of players um, and we have a very unique way of, or potentials of, potential to play and you know that's a blend of playing a, a united states american level style of basketball combined with a, a european style of basketball and we have some phenomenal athletes that just need better skill sets and better direction and better guidance um and if we've got coaches that aren't necessarily developed to the level to be able to deliver that then we're never going to push past those barriers and i, I mean i've I've always attested that as a nation, combined nation with Wales, Scotland, Ireland, and us, we have the ability to beat or compete with the highest level of teams. And we've seen that in phases, but not consistently over the last 10 years. You know, and I think we, we had a really good opportunity with Warwick Cairn when the Greek Tech Great Britain basketball program was there. Like Warwick really pushed us to form an identity and to really look at coaching. And unfortunately, I think we've just lost our way 
and I haven't been around and, it, and I may be out of place saying that, but from, from, a, from outside looking in, like we just lost our identity again. And, um, you know, I think uh, for sure that that hurts us in terms of our growth. It hurts, you know, we have this experience, like we should be pushing for other coaches to have the same experiences that I've been able to, but I've done that on my own steam. I've, I've created those opportunities. I've backed myself, you know, I've done it the right way, you know, coached the right way or in a way and people have recognized it. And, you know, the benefits of being, you know, you reap rewards for, from, from what you do. Right. So, I think for sure we're we're lacking in um, opportunities to share information and lacking opportunities to get together to share information. Um, but there are definitely a handful of you know great coaches around the UK now. Um, you know, you got Rob Padnostra who at the club level, and then you've got Mark and myself. You've got Tony G. Uh, and there's a bunch of them. I mean, there's a whole wealth of knowledge that as you move forward around that, you know, Mark's doing a great job right now, even though he's a young up and coming coach with the Great Britain program, you know, the opportunities for him to share and, you know, have dialogue with experienced people would be, you know, would be great. Um, because with today's technology, we can watch games from a distance and you can, you can help and feedback and, and do stuff. So, yeah. And uh, when it comes to your experience in coaching in so many different you know places, you've coached in Europe, you've coached in, in Panama, you've coached in Asia, and you know, you have taken up so many different roles as well. How important do you think that has been in just you developing a almost an identity of your style of coaching? And how malleable do you think you've been in that entire process in adjusting and learning new things from different experiences? I mean, I think it's huge. I mean, the Great Britain experience was 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 a really good example for me in that I went into that experience with Chris Finch, Nick Nurse, Paul McKeskey. Um, and my position, my role just changed every year. You know, I was an advanced scout. I was on the bench. I was doing technology. And that made me a better coach, you know, because it it just helps you understand all those areas being an assistant. I've had the opportunity to be a head coach. I've done video. Um, you know, I've run, I've run my own team within, uh, within a league. So I think, you know, if people buttonhole themselves as just a head coach and they're not prepared to do anything but this, and they're not prepared to take this level of money, then ultimately you're going to find yourself jobless because it's hard. We're from the UK. They're going to take, they're going to hire somebody from Serbia or they're going to hire somebody from Spain or they're going to hire, you know, somebody from Turkey over us because they, they, you know, unfortunately all these clubs around the world, their viewpoint is Britain doesn't play basketball. So you've got to be open-minded. You've got to accept different roles. You've got to set different pay you know, grades. Um, and then you've got to show them and you have those opportunities, you embrace them. Um, and I think it helps you definitely. It shapes you. I mean, with working with Chris and Nick, Paul McKeskey is my assistant with the under twenties, you know, Jimmy Guyman, um, you know, those four people alone really helped me channel the identity, my philosophy, my ethos about the game. Um, and you know, it's got large parts of some and small bits of others. Um, but if I had never, if I was only ever going to be a head coach and I didn't want to be a video guy or I didn't want to be a scout, or I didn't, 
then those opportunities were never presented. So I think it's really important to be open-minded, take take opportunities that present themselves that are always going to lead to other situations, you know, new yeah. teams, different continents, um, different positions. Absolutely. And when it comes to your time in the States, you know, you have, you've had the previous experience in high school and, you know, you had, you've had a taste of what the basketball culture is like in the States to now coaching, like, you know, the, the D league teams that you're now the G league teams, what was that shift like for you? And, you know, assuming those responsibilities and let's be honest, it's quite a volatile state of being, you know, of coaching a G league team with the changes that keep happening. What was it like adjusting for you in that system? I think because of the route that I'd taken, um, where I I'd moved from country to country, I'd taken jobs to, to be in a better position, and I'd done that over a number of years. When I got to the G League, I'd been a head coach, I'd been an assistant, I'd done all the roles that I needed to do. I found that the transition was, you know, pretty smooth. You know, it's a different. There's different terminology. There's, you know, different ways of doing things, but you adapt and you adjust. So for me, the transition was never, it was never a difficult one. Um, you know, the level of talent is higher. Um, you know, definitely the level of sort of uh, detail is higher. Um, but I think, you know, if you, if you jump from a situation where you've never done anything but being a, a video guy or whatever, like you haven't had the experiences, you haven't built your philosophy. And I think it's important you have that because if you, if you sit in meetings here and you don't believe in something, it's very hard to, to contribute to that. Um, you know, the team, it's philosophy, it's ethos, you know, style of play, how, you know, how we're going to develop these players. So um, for sure, um, over the last um you know, over those last 15 years where I've had the opportunity to be in different teams, made that transition smoother. And, you know, I've always felt that I, I belong. You know, I've always backed myself. I feel like I belong in the G League. I feel like I belong in a role or a position in the NBA. And I had the opportunity to do that for five games this year, uh, which, you know, which was an amazing experience. And hopefully that will, you know, will grow. Um, so... I think it's the way you approach it. I think too many people don't want to do all that groundwork. They want to jump from point A to point Z without getting through all those other points on the way. And, and if you don't get those touch points, then you miss out on a lot of stuff that is going to be really valuable to you as you progress and develop as a coach if you want to coach at the highest levels. And you said that you've also been, you know, a scout in certain places. And how do you actually know what to actually look for in a player? Because yes, you have statistics, you have all those things that you look out for. Sure. But sometimes in being quite, you know, you have to be quite precise in looking for someone, not just in terms of their talent, but also the intangibles as well. So how do you quite assess on what you're looking for in that coaching sense, in the, in the, in the scouting sense? I mean, you obviously you're looking, depending on what, what you're looking for, is this, if it's for like, so for the Raptors, it might be advanced scouting, you're looking at more team-based stuff. If it's personnel and you're looking at system fit, character, you know, how, what level is this person perceived? Do we perceive this level of this person to reach? You know, is there room for growth and improvement? 
Um, and, you know, I th- and again, I think this is over a period of time. If you try and jump from coaching Junior National League in England to doing that here in the U.S., first off, the opportunities probably won't present themselves. And if they do, then you're going to find it really difficult because you've never navigated those. You know, when you're, when you're a head coach coaching overseas and you are having to identify players and go through agents and look at different things, you start to get a feel about, you know, players' talents. What's an NBA? What does an NBA player look like? What does a you know what does a G League player look like? What does a G League player that has maybe some NBA potential like? You start to get a feel for that, and that you have to develop that feel over a number of years. It's not something you just walk in and say, "Yeah, that kid can do." This. So I think again, it's all that it's that groundwork and the base that you create for yourself. And you know you've you've had such great mo- uh, you know moments with people like you know Nick Nick Nurse and Chris Finch, and now you know, mm-hmm. the three of you are, have had such an, a major impact in the States, how do you look back on your relationship with those two people and, and just what they have, you know, how, what you three have basically done uh, for British basketball as in, just in terms of perception? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I mean, I can't say much, you know, enough about either of them. I mean, you know, Nick, um, I had the opportunity to spend some time with Nick in the G League and then obviously was with him in Toronto um you know a great basketball mind uh, you know a great friend and was you know obviously contributed to my ethos and philosophy around the game um you know there's no question like you know chris has has just been phenomenal in my development in terms of his knowledge um obviously we are you know we grew to be very close friends uh through basketball and um you know he you know his you know he has been just uh again phenomenal in my development in terms of you know understanding the game better um you know both at the offensive end and at the defensive end so i mean it's it's crazy to think you got two coaches at that level that you know um have gone through the british ranks um and are now you know, undoubtedly two of the better coaches in the NBA. Um, just final couple of questions. Uh, I feel like it, just in terms of what you've done in terms of coaching in so many different places, taking up all these opportunities, I think what goes, you know, perhaps a bit under the radar is the amount of passion it must take for the game to actually go through that grind for years and actually go through all those different aspects of, 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 the, of the game. How do you look back on the reason behind why you've done all this and just basically your achievement so far. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm hugely, hugely passionate about the game and always have been. And I always, you know, I always set a target for myself when I started coaching, that, you know, what's the highest level of basketball? For one of the first things was, you know, ultimately to try and be involved with the Olympic Games. And when that opportunity happened, you know, that was surreal being in, uh, in the UK as well. And then ultimately, it was obviously an opportunity to be uh, you know, involved in an NBA organization. Um, you know, I'm a, I've always been passionate about teaching and coaching and giving back and helping people, you know, developing people, you know, whether it's on the floor or off the floor. Um, so it's always just seemed, you know, very natural. Um, you know, and as I move forward here in my career, I mean, I still have, you know, I've had the opportunity to have a taste of the NBA, to be involved with it, but I would like 
now to be involved in that on a full-time basis. And, you know, I feel, com- I feel comfortable saying here to myself, it's going to happen, um, you know, because it's something that I've always aspired to do. Um, but I think you have to be, you know, you can't be cocky and arrogant about stuff. I think you've got to be modest and you don't, you know, your accomplishments will speak for themselves. You don't need to, you know, you don't need to get on top of the roofs and shout it out. People that know and understand value what you do. Right? You know, so for me, that's the, uh, you know, that's the most important thing. You know, I know what I'm, uh, you know, what I'm doing. I know the achievements and accomplishments I've had and that I now set um, moving forward the goals. And uh, the most important thing is that I continue to do that. I strive to do that. And the people around it that recognize and have seen the growth over the years, you know, recognize that as well. And final question, and I know this might sound a bit morbid, but (laughs) I think just in terms of what you've achieved so far, how would you like to be remembered? Oof. Um, Good question. I never never thought about that. Um, I guess just oh, that's a very good question. Somebody that just helps has helped move you know British basketball in the right direction. Um, well, no, I probably I probably have to think, go back and check, recheck on that one with you <laughs> at some point. I never, I've never thought about it like that. Um, you know, I would love to have the opportunity to help. Uh, British basketball develop for you know coaches around British basketball to develop. Um, and I guess just leave you know an ounce of the knowledge that hump long and sorry and and Rick Woolridge. So. It was an absolute honour speaking with Tim Lewis. His emotions on display at the end just stand testament to his absolute passion for basketball. Not like a testament is necessary. His work and journey speak plenty of Tim's love for basketball. Truly grateful to Tim for taking the time. Wish him and Iowa Wolves the best.